You're listening to Standing Before the Mast podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hi, folks. How's it going? My guest for this episode is Kate Wilson Summers. Kate is a sailor, sailing instructor, and business owner. Kate has worked on the Volvo Ocean Race as support crew for Team Vestas 11th Hour Racing. She has worked on the America's Cup with Team Oracle USA in 2012 through 2013, as well as the Rolex Big Boat Series in San Francisco. At the 24th Annual Providence Boat Show in 2017, the Rhode Island Marine Trades Association recognized Kate as Boater of the Year. Kate received that for the work she did to transform youth sailing programs to help keep kids engaged, gain experience on some big boats, and boost and diversify the enrollment in these programs. In addition to accepting the award, Kate chose to dedicate it to all the volunteers who work tirelessly to ensure these programs reach as many as possible. Kate is also a businesswoman. She's the founder and chief designer of a marketing and web design company called Rising Tea, and her clients include several marine companies and events. The company's name derives from a phrase used by John F. Kennedy in a speech in 1963, a rising tide lifts all boats. Some of the websites she's designed and continues to maintain include the Harrishoff Marine Museum, the Storm Tricycle Club, the National Sailing Hall of Fame, Confident Captain, and many social media accounts associated with those. We talk about all of this and much more. Kate and I connected virtually right before Thanksgiving and cracked open a beer for our talk. Kate has a great attitude, plenty of ambition, and some great advice for people who want to get involved and work hard. Her website is risingtea.com. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Kate. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. How was your day? I've been on Zoom calls all day and I haven't been used to talking this much. Oh, geez. Of course, this has to be the one day we're recording something. So, well, I'm going to. Uh... Yeah, I was like, you know what might help? My beer. <laughs> oh, you got a whaler's rise there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went with the uh, road trip. Oh, I haven't had that one. Hey, wait, is that their session? I don't Or is it uh... like. It just says a New England IPA. Okay. We'll go with that. Well, we'll start with uh, your sailing history. Uh, uh, what are some of your early experiences and adventures that you uh, have fond memories of? I know you, I read an article. You talked a lot about uh, the great memories racing, growing up sailing with your team. But what what got you into it? So my dad was in the Navy. And um, my parents met here in Rhode Island. And then um, my mom's from Rhode Island. And so I grew up always like around the beaches and everything. And then wherever we moved, you're always near the water when you're in the Navy. <laughs> so, and my dad was always, he was a big sailor. So he introduced it to me. Um, when we lived up in Warwick, we had a uh, little O'Day that we used to sail sort of upper bay. And then um, I eventually we, we moved to Hawaii and Japan and there was always like a sailing summer camp on base. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I sort of got into junior sailing through that and then through my dad. Um, and then I didn't start racing competitively until we lived in Hawaii and I was sort of middle schoolish age. Um, and I was racing with my dad. There was like a Wednesday night series doing roads, 19s, very similar to the Navy base here in Newport that also mm -hmm. has roads, 19s, um, and a sailing coach who's no joke. His last name was boatman. 
B-O-A-T-M-A-N. And that was my first coach, Coach Boatman. And uh, he walked up on the dock and was like, why isn't she in the junior sailing program over here? And it was somewhere I could like bike down to and sail 365 days a year. So I got into sailing in Hawaii um, wow. where we have, we sailed El Toros out there, not Optis. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marconi rig and not a flat bottom. And I'm not familiar. Maybe. Is that a similar style book? It's just a pram. Yeah. It's just yeah. very similar to an Opti, just with a rounder bottom and a Marconi rig. And mm. I would say less stupid. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's the same thing. One person, one boat. And so you kind of work your way up that until you get into four twenties. Um, and then I moved through high school. Then I came, my dad retired. Um, and we moved here and I started at um, the Prout School in there in oh, South yeah. County, um, and uh, had some we had a sailing team and I had some good friends there. And um, unfortunately, like then the sailing team kind of went away when I was uh, a senior, but uh, still managed to sail around here and then went on to sail it in college. Um, I went to Hobart and William Smith and mm-hmm. uh, we went on and I sailed up there and frigid upstate New York, but got to do a lot of traveling and go to nationals and made a lot of success there. And, um, some of my closest friends came out of that sailing team and then, but I got college sailing nationals. My senior year was in Newport, which was pretty awesome to come back for your senior year and have it like in your backyard. Yeah. Um, but I definitely got off the water after that 2008 nationals and said, I'm not having fun anymore. Like I, that really lost the fun of sailing. Mm. So I, um, I moved to Denmark for two years and I didn't sail at all. I, uh, I'd studied abroad there and I was also into lacrosse and played lacrosse over there and, um, not a big sport over there. So, um, that was fun. And then, um, it just had to like fall back in love with the sport. And when I moved back, I started cruising with my parents again and then getting back into Newport sailing and kind of fell back in love with it and gotten back into coaching and then more big boat racing and, eventually moved on a Pearson Triton in the middle oh, yeah. of Newport Harbor. <laughs> um, and uh, eventually then that took me like professionally wise, like, um, you know, I ended up kind of starting to work in the industry and now I met my husband through sailing and right. we have a Catalina, not a Catalina, my dad has Catalina 36. We have a CNC 34 that we cruise around with our little dog and, yeah, sort of. <laughs> what what the uh, Pearson Triton? You lived on it. Did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. Uh. With an old boyfriend, and if you want to put a relationship through a pressure cooker, not just move in together, move on a twenty eight foot boat together. Yeah. So it didn't end up working out, but it actually the interesting thing is my husband also had a Pearson Triton, so as uh, a mutual friend was like, "Oh, you guys should meet. You own these same weird old boats that are from like the fifties and the sixties. Some of the first boats they started doing fiberglass with, so they're super thick because they were like, I don't know quite how much fiberglass to use it now. Let's just make it two inches thick in places. That's right. So these boats yeah. are still around. So that's how actually end how I met him, and then um, connected with him years later, and. Uh, sailed with him on that Triton for a while. And then, but as you know, the boat, um, he grew up on a boat. So he, mm. the idea of living aboard, he's like, no, I did that for the first 18 years of my life. <laughs> like, I like having a house now in the yard. So I made it three years and I still own the boat. It's a freedom 33 cat catch. And I bought it. I was 30. So it was 19, um, 
yeah, it was 1999. And, and then I met my wife who's from England. She came to Newport. It was a folk festival weekend and I was living aboard on a mooring and she also doesn't swim. So that was an extra consideration. But I remember I'd left the port open, which isn't a problem because it's under a Dodger. However, water, rainwater had collected in places it really shouldn't. And a fishing boat went out early in the morning. It was dead calm. And it rocked the boat. And a, an absolute column of water went down, landed on her in her neck in the bunk. And she sat up calmly and said, you might want to sort that out. And I thought, and hey, we're on to something here. Yeah. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it for a while. Um, I actually, after we had broken up, that was when I then got the opportunity to go move to San Francisco and work for Oracle Team USA for the America's Cup out there. Wow. And I actually really tried to like, I had this whole plan of like living in Sausalito aboard and doing all of that. And uh, cause I really fell in love with this, the live aboard culture and the people and how you guys mm. you look after each other. And I really wanted that back. Cause that was, that was what I was more upset about in the breakup was like not the relationship. It was like losing that community because <laughs> like the boat was his. <laughs> so um, for a while there, I actually, we had a mooring over by the spindle and um, I took the mooring and I moved my parents' boat there and then he moved to the anchorage. And so then we actually like lived like on boats, like next to each other with like our friends in between. It was a very <laughs> awkward summer there for a little bit, but then um, I got out of Newport and um, didn't end up finding a boat to live aboard in Sausalito. Um, had to do the whole live in the city thing, but which kind of worked out fine because I worked so much that I was like, I wouldn't have wanted to be like rowing out to a boat and involving a bridge and ferries. <laughs> yeah. Did, that must have been before they tightened down on the restrict on how long you could remain in the anchorage. Yeah. That was the summer um, before. So okay. I moved, that was the, I think it was the summer of 2012 was the one I was living there. And then 13 was the one they started really cracking down on people and, um, mm. trying to enforce it. And, um, yeah, I know there was like, I remember there was like, I think that was the same time that like Occupy Wild Street was happening and someone tried to be like Occupy Mooring Field or something. <laughs> like, oh, right. I was like, okay guys, like I get, I get both sides of that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Gotta make room for some of them. What did you do with, was it Oracle you worked with? Yeah. I think in the end, my title was brand manager, but um, it was anything and everything. If they said, can you do this? I would just be like, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And um, that's one of my biggest advices to pass on to like young people starting out in the industry. They're like, how do I get there? And I'm like, just say yes, work your ass off. And if you don't know, you know, put your hand up and say, I need help. You know, don't ever right. say like, t- try to bite off more than you can chew. But um, so I sort of, was in charge of everything from, I basically helped out the marketing communications team to keep, I would say like things running just as smoothly with the rest of the team. So mm. clothing, which is like something I also learned. I've never met anybody who's done clothing for an America's Cup campaign more than once. Cause that's always uh, a huge headache. Obviously you get lots of like free gear from sponsors, but these sponsors mm. are also paying you to wear the gear so you have to kind of enforce it like we were sponsored by puma and having to chase people down to make sure they're wearing their pumas not their nikes or god forbid adidas's because puma and adidas are like arch enemies actually we're brothers there's a whole story there that's really interesting but um yeah so there's like everything from like getting people gear and then you know, which is fun. You get to be like Santa Claus some days, but on other days it's like, Oh, I lost my shirt. Can I have, can I have my girlfriend? Oh. Can I have, can I have, and you can't even like move five feet 
yet you're still having to deal with like this like multi-million dollar budget of sailing gear. And then there's the sailors themselves who have different gear. And then some people are like, well, I want the stuff the sailors have. And I'm like, well, you're not on the boat. You're a boat builder. <laughs> so you, or you work in the gym. So you get the hoodies. You don't get the foul weather. Like it's, yeah. and it's not, I'm like having to be the bad guy, but then I do that. And then I'd manage all the stickers. So like anytime you saw a sticker organizing the brand, organizing the branding, organizing the free stuff that you get, you know, like, mm. When we were down and out and looked like we were going to lose, I got the call from like Russell to be like, go get the rum. <laughs> and so, because we had a rum sponsor. <laughs> so it was like, everybody just drink rum tonight and come up with new ideas. And wow. um, clearly we turned it around. So I did everything from that. And then because I can also drive boats, I also would keep the media and sponsors out of like the chase boat driver's hair. So I would like drive the chase boat to like take out a media guest or take out, Mm. you know, a sponsor who wants to see something. So the day we capsized, I actually had like a big CEO, like just to watch the boat. And I was like, Oh, this isn't good. Like I was like, (laughs) we need to go back. Cause I need to go get more people who can help than you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I did. So it was fun. It was like, no two days were the same. I worked a lot. I just said yes. And I got so much experience that I was then able to take back home and kind of go from there. And when you, when you came back from that, is that when you wound up um, at the Newport Yacht Club running that program? <laughs> um, I actually was doing that before. There you were. I, I started when my dad and I moved back from Hawaii, we were used mm-hmm. to sailing all the time. And so we were like frostbiting. What's that? And I'm like, foul weather. First of all, I was like foul weather gear. What is that? Cause right. I never sailed anywhere really outside of Hawaii or in the summer, but we started sailing the turnabouts at a Newport Yacht Club mm-hmm. then. So doing the frostbite there. And so that's how we kind of got, became members into Newport Yacht Club and, but really was sort of focused on that. And then my dad still sails with, uh, Dr. Charlie Shoemaker, Dr. Shoe, who's sort of a legend in the, and he brought, he was sort of my first foray into big boats as well. I, at one point kind of had an office job actually among before the America's cup and everything, but I still missed coaching and teaching sailing. So I worked mm-hmm. it out with my employers that I could like leave work at, you know, one thirty in the spring and start coaching high school sailing. So I mm-hmm. became the Rogers high school sailing coach and then, which sailed, out of Newport Yacht Club. Sure. Yeah. And the junior chair at the time was on the frostbite committee with him. And at some point he was like, I'm ready to kind of step down being the junior chair. You're already coaching the high school team here and mm. managing the boats. Like, so it just became a natural fit. And so I was like, Oh, I'd love to do that. And then I kind of took a hard look at the program. And at the time I was also having like my husband, uh, boyfriend at the time, like hit, some of his coworkers had some sailors who were like in eighth grade. And I was like, so excited for them to come up into the high school team. And I remember an eighth grader, like looking at me going, Oh, I'm not going to sail. I'm tired of sailing. I'm going to go play lacrosse because I'm only going to be able to play lacrosse. I'll be able to sail my whole life. I'm only going to be able to play lacrosse for four years. And I was like, well, that's a very astute thing for a 13 year old boy. But I also kind of like, was like, that also tells me that you're like not in love with it. You know, you couldn't get me out of a boat at that age. But I also like, there was a level of, especially in Hawaii, like maybe it's because we were in Hawaii, but we just, we had like, we'd have sailing class in the morning and then we'd go like dick around in boats for a couple of hours, you know, like go take the, put three girls in a laser and we just like go sail out to a sandbar and go swimming. And that freedom and fun, you know, was a big part of it. And so I think 
my interpretation was that we had kids who were burning out after getting out of these opties and maybe a little bit of 420s who just weren't having fun anymore. Mm. And I had um, worked over, I did actually have an office job at one point that I loved my job. I was working with kids in science, um, hated my boss. And so I kind of like had one of those moments which worked out. It was right before I left for the cup and I was right about to move on this boat with this guy in the harbor. And I was like, free for, I was like, life's too short to have a shitty desk job. And so I, um, so I worked at the Jamestown Sea Adventure Camp and that was sort of bringing together oh, yeah. the Audubon Society. It was the very first year we did it, bringing together the Audubon Society, the Connecticut Island Sailing Foundation. And that sort of, I saw something kind of stick, you know, like it was like bringing the fun back and there was mm. no racing component at all. And then I went to the America's Cup and I came back and dealt with these kids. And so, and at that point, the Newport Yacht Club sailing program was down to like 20 kids for the whole summer. And so I kind of like was able to figure out what I basically saw, though, is that at that point, Ida Lewis Yacht Club and Sail Newport had combined to make the Brett and Cove racing team. So they had done, created this very strong program just across the bay. And I was like, that's great what they're doing. There's something missing for that, like kids who just want to go have fun. And both of those programs, like, kind of had something like that. So I was like, let's do something like the Jamestown Sea Adventure Camp, but just here in Newport. So just got rid of the racing program and was like, you know, we're even going to get rid of, like, beginner, intermediate, advanced. Like, no two, the rules were no two days were about the same. It's all about the fun. And changed up the, instead of, like, three days a week at these times and two days a week, we just did five days a week because we also know that parents need daycare. I mean, in a sense, like, they need mm-hmm. So we did that and tried it out. And then a big other thing I was, you know, realized, especially working with Rogers is Newport has a very large faction of the population that cannot afford to come down. And what can we do to get more access on the water? And so I did a fundraiser and I just sort of started asking people to sponsor kids and people wanted to do that. So we were able to fund 20% of the program with kids who could just come for free. Wow. Um, and that was amazing. And so we sort of just threw it at the wall. The biggest parts were to like get instructors who bought in because I do know as like a lot of sailing, a lot of college racers want to just teach racing in the summer. They don't necessarily mm. want to be this like fun, you know, I, I don't say that they're not fun, but I, it's like a different mentality, right? Like you're not going to be able to just kind of sit in your boat and blow your whistle. You're going to have to get a lot more involved with the kids and, mm. um, so we threw it at the wall and it stuck and I had one mom basically be like, I got in with the, you know, the new Newport mom mafia. And like all of a sudden <laughs> I got like a neighborhood of kids wanting to come. And I had kids who was older sibling or younger sibling was over at sail Newport and they just wanted the go sailing, but didn't want leave the racing to my brother. And so the parents did two drop off. So it tapped into something that clearly people wanted. Mm. And um, so we've now been doing it for, uh, that was 2013. I can't even remember the first year we've been doing it for like six years, seven years since we've been doing that. So, yeah, I, I, I went through that program. Uh, this would have been the early eighties. That's how old I am. I do remember I, I had fun in the turnabouts and we kind of transitioned to the four twenties. And I remember at some point, I don't know if I'm imagining it, but an instructor, had us all by rule rule books, you know, the oh. sailing rules. And then you had to sit down and read it. And I took it home and I'm like, oh, this is the most boring thing I've ever read. And then somebody said to me, 
most of the races you're going to win aren't going to be out on the water. They're going to be at the protest hearing. And I thought, well, this isn't fun. And they kind of lost me much in the way that you've, you've described kids getting lost. But my early days, I had a lot of fun because they did this thing called the sail over to Jamestown. And we went over Every that Friday. little <laughs> Potter, Potter Cove. Well, this was a, a once oh, yeah. a year thing at the end. And we went over to that Potter Cove by the, the bridge off ramp and the parents and the people I know now as adults uh, had set up a whole cookout and everything. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it was a lot of, and that was one of the most memorable things. And when we sailed back, um, as it often does in August, the fog bank rolled in and I, you know, we could hear people saying, everyone turn back, turn back. But I was with a cluster of maybe three boats and we could all see the bridge, but we couldn't see them. So we kept going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we sailed back to the Newport Yacht Club and the instructors weren't too pleased, but the, the parents thought we we made some good seamanship decisions and we we basically hugged the bridge and then we, we were always able to see something between the bridge and Goat Island, you know. And I think that's a big, you just hit the nail on the head with like seamanship. So now we have, you know, some bigger boats. We, um, my husband works at Jamestown Boatyard and has oh. for pretty much since he left Brenteris. <laughs> He's been working there now for, since he was in his early 20s. He, somehow there was like a J-22 in the back of the yard where they were about to send somebody a yard bill again for a boat that had been sitting there. And he's like, is there any way we could get rid of it? And so we just sort of took it at Newport Yacht Club, which is always a risk, right? When mm. you uh, take a boat and it needed a little bit of work. And then eventually we were able to get someone from Iris actually to kind of like take it on as a project uh oh. some winter so we got the whole boat like kind of fixed up and we paid for the supplies and somebody got so it was able to turn into a a bit uh a, a big thing so we have a, a j22 now and we had an ensign the ensign the ensign we have i think are starting to retire because it's uh some the, one of the instructors took a look at the mast step and was sort of like i'm not sure i'm gonna put some kids on this boat i'm not sure that i'm like <laughs> this ring so we have like but the opportunity to sort of like put people, put these kids on, not just an Opti, we've got some open BICs and we sort of, um, actually last year we had a J24 as well, um, purely because we worked it out with somebody that they said, if I can have free dockage, I'll let, take the kids, let them use the boat. I don't care. So that, that was a great deal that we kind of worked out. So, wow. um, and then the other thing we've done, which we're trying to be more successful at, which we've done a few times, is I'll come over with my boat at least once a summer and some of the other retired members of the yacht club and take kids out on like a CNC 34 or a mm-hmm. Catalina 36 or a Swan 48, you know, and let them experience like just what it's like to sail on a big boat. All we did was sail to Mackerel Cove, put an anchor down and go swimming. But like just that experience alone is something that you don't nor- you sometimes take advantage of living in Newport mm. and having that and realizing that you can, you know, just, just get kids to fall in love with the water first. <laughs> because right. a lot of times, you know, we only have these kids for two weeks at a time and it's really unfortunate. I don't say, it, but I don't judge parents choices, but they go from like sailing camp to tennis camp, to soccer camp to like this and that. Mm. So that part is like sometimes a lot and you're like, okay, well, we're, they're not going to become America's cup racers. Do not put a rule book or even a chalkboard in front of them. Like just right. send them out, be safe, let them fall in love with it. And we've had some kids who have come through the program and then gone on to be junior instructors, instructors. Some kids have gone on to go race at sail Newport, which is great. You know, like mm. they've fallen in love with it. They want to take the next step. So it's about creating lifelong sailors, not like just, 
customers in the, you know, or things like that. Not that I think any program's doing that, but, um, yeah, my dad, I've, my dad used to be a Commodore at Newport Yacht Club. And he, when I mentioned that you were going to be my next guest, he his eyes lit up. He said, oh, she really revolutionized the whole program at the at the Yacht Club. Yeah, when we first started, I, I did a lot of um, just do it and maybe ask for forgiveness. And I feel like yeah. a lot of people just sort of like, we're like, well, she's doing it. Like, let's stay out of her way. Sure. But I was sort of a one woman show there for a while. Um, luckily, now I'm actually no longer even the chair. I've been able to take a step back because um, I actually did the full Volvo Ocean Race as support crew for Vestas 11th Hour Racing. So oh, I wow. was able to be like, uh, guys, I'm going around the world for nine months. Like someone else has got to <laughs> take this on. Um, so at that point, like it, at that point, though, uh, originally I was like the volunteer program director and just hired a sailing instructor. Mm. Now we've got more full-time people like we're the program is doing well enough that we can actually pay people to take on the logistics part of it. Sure. Um, Cause I spend a lot of time just dealing with like parents and stuff. So now I get to do the happy stuff where I just go to committee meetings and help make like shape the decisions and right. then deal with the scholarships and get to get happy kids go sailing. So, um, which is very fun. Cause it's now the like, idea of, the idea of getting kids on a bigger boat. Did you come up with that? Or I see Joe, uh, do you know Joe Cooper? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see he does that. He, he posts, I'm friends with him, I think on other social media and LinkedIn. And I see he's always posting pictures and I don't know if he nicked your idea or not. No, Coop and I, so Coop was the Prout coach when I was the Rogers coach. So okay. Prout and Rogers did a lot of things. And one of the other ideas I had that Coop was a huge proponent of and has helped carry it on is when I was the Rogers high school sailing coach. Um, at one point, actually, and this seems crazy, right? Like Rogers and Middletown high schools did not have enough kids to field their own teams. Part of the sailing world. And we just didn't, we couldn't. So Rogers in Middletown, so Brad Reed and I sort of like both of his kids were on the team at the time. So we sort of combined this Aquidneck Island sailing team. We got pushed back at the the regional and national level because you're not allowed to create these powerhouse schools. And we're like, we're not trying to create powerhouse schools. We're just trying to get enough kids who can safely get on the water. We could sometimes get kids who were crews out, but we couldn't get enough skippers and things like that. Um, and when you're sailing in March, that's a big issue. So. Mm -hmm. I realized at that point we were trying to, it's because they were afraid that like private schools would combine and make these like powerhouse schools, powerhouse teams. Um, so I understood where they were coming from, but I was like, that's that we're playing on different fields here. Like right. the public schools and these private schools. Cause that's the thing about sailing. Everybody competes on the same level. Mm. So I was like, we need to stop playing by those rules and just play by our own rules. Cause the goal is just to get kids sailing. We're not trying to go to nationals. Right. So, Another thing with high school sailing is you start in March, you're sailing, like sailing has to be over by like five o'clock. So kids can, A, it's getting dark. They need to go home and do their homework. So you have very limited time and you have so many days of weather that get blown out in that time of year as well. Either too yeah. cold or too windy or, you know, whatever. You used to spend this like time where you'd almost like be going like to East Greenwich on Tuesday and then, oh, that got canceled because of weather. So you're going on Wednesdays. You're going, you're barely spending any time practicing. You're spending your whole time like competing. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a lot of novice sailors who needed the time to practice. So we came up with the idea of the Friday night lights regatta. So everybody practices all week. And then on Fridays, you get together and you sail. And we did it at Newport Yacht Club and we got the grill going. And everybody, all the public schools, come down from around the state and we do round robin because it's team racing at that point mm -hmm. so one school versus another 
and we did team racing just right there in front of, and that way everybody could get their regattas in because you had to get in a certain amount against other schools to qualify. Sure. So it still was qualifying. And yes, St. George's, you know, isn't sending their like number one A team, but it's an opportunity for their JV team to come over and sail and be just as competitive. So, and then we had a grill night going that would, uh, the parents would bring the hot dogs and hamburgers from the Rogers and Middletown teams. We'd sell it for like a dollar a hot dog. And that went into the kitty for the junior sailing program at Newport Yacht Club. Oh, nice. It was so that we called the Friday night lights and it is still going. And I'll sometimes drive down Newport and like a Friday afternoon and see all the boats out there. And I'm like, Oh, I want to go out there. And I went by once. They're like, Oh, it's called the Friday night lights regatta. And I'm like, it's still going. And it's been like eight (laughs) years. So, Oh, that's excellent. So that I think is another thing of like, you know, part of me just gets almost frustrated, which I think some people can take my passion sometimes the wrong way, but Mm. I'm just like, get out of the way. Just like get the kids sailing. Try not to like, sure think about it too much. Like, I think, um, I mean, then with this year with COVID, it was like a lot of people were like, okay, we got to think through everything. We got to be safe, mm. which is so true. But I was like, okay, but let's also take a step back and just realize like, what is it like kids need sailing for in camps and socialization for mental health. So how can we do this safely? We were able to pull it off. We shrank down the program, um, but we, we stayed in pods, which sailing kind of lends itself to anyway. Sure. And we actually, I don't think I have them, but maybe if you've been by Newport Yacht Club, we got buffs. We got with the Newport Yacht Club Virgie on them. And we got, oh, right. we got red buffs and blue buffs. And so you were red group or blue boop and you had to keep your buff on if you got close. And it was very easy to see if red buff was near blue buff, like you're not supposed <laughs> to be in the pods together. And we, we did things like stagger drop-offs and pickups. And that's something the sailing instructors have actually feedback wise. They're like, we want to continue that. Mm. post COVID like it just made the mornings a little less chaotic one group comes and then goes out to their boats on the dock and then the next group comes and so um yeah we were able to make it happen which I think was so key this summer I think kids needed to get out there and um, yeah that's I I glanced at the Yacht Club website and the junior program and I could see somebody spent some serious time designing the whole COVID program you know the whole procedures yeah And that is, um, so, I mean, a lot of that, uh, Sam kind of, we, we outlined it as a committee and then Sam, who's been our program director now for the last couple of years, who like gets it actually, it's sort of, he, he texted me this summer. He, he worked his way up as like a junior instructor up to now being the program director. So he's been doing, he's kind of, he's actually been with the program the whole time when he first started, I think he was 17 or 18 and it was, he actually really wanted to be a sale Newport instructor and Kim Hapgood emailed me and said, you know what, Sam's like not right for our program, but he would be perfect for your program. And he is one of the hardest workers. Like he's been in our forever. So I was like, if that's, that's coming from Kim, like yeah, and knowing how much she respects hard work and Sam's now been with us. Yeah. For seven years. And now he's two years out of college, just went through the Iris program. And um, the worst thing's going to happen is someone's going to want to hire him <laughs> for a real job and he's going to not be able to, but he's saying next summer, even if he has a full-time job, he's going to still try to manage the, at least the instructors and everything. And he texted me oh, this summer great. because we've got someone who's kind of coming up those ranks right now. Mm. And he's like, is this how you looked at me? Yeah. I now look at him that way. And yeah. I was like, Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. So, and I think that's not only that it's good. He's, he's, he's got an eye out for future talent. And that's sort of the layer. I mean, you said you went to Newport Yacht Club in the 80s. Like there's a lot of other people who have gone through the program and stuff. And we're also 
not just are we helping kids, we're helping young adults create like being a sailing instructor. If you see that on someone's resume, like, Mm. you know, that they can manage a lot of things happening at the same time and also can manage when things don't go right, like a fog bank and all your kids disappear and you have to like pull it all back together. And I think that's like a very redeeming quality. And we're creating like young adults with good work ethics and leadership and and yeah, then, like you said, it doesn't all have to be competition either. You know, you don't have to graduate somebody. And that's where I, I fell in. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't for me. But I, I did wind up finding my tribe, if you will. And I'd gone out on some race bills like J80s and things like that. And I thought, man, this is pretty intense. And then I wound up crewing on a, a classic Fife catch. And when the captain said, in fact, he's my friend. It was my first podcast. He said, we're going to start to get ready to think about tacking in a little while. I thought this is my kind of boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, 80 tons people, moves differently. Yeah. People ask like uh, if Brandon and I would get a race boat and it's like, no, no, we, we, we like going racing on other boats. Like right. we do a lot of racing. No, we have a very, you know, we've made it the nicest CNC. We, for our honeymoon, we went to Maine for two weeks this year, which I had never cruised Maine before. I'd only ever heard about everybody doing mm. it. And, and it was amazing. I mean, we, as we joked, we got married and then we went straight into a watch system to get our boat straight up to <laughs> Maine because we were trying to outrun that Isaac hurricane that was sort of coming. So, Oh, you went um, then? Oh, boy. Yeah, we got married August 1st, which we obviously, like, we punted and did not do like the big wedding. Um, we just, we did some photos on our boat and went up to Fort Weatherall and my like very good friend who actually was a launch driver at JBY and went to college with me. And she's the one who, she was the one who said, you guys have the same weird old boat. She's the one who introduced introduce us. So she got officiated, married us. And then we came back and did a small backyard thing. Mm. And uh, my dad pulled me aside and was like, just get up in the morning and go. We'd already provisioned the boat and gotten it already. We just like got up the next morning sent it straight to Maine in 36 hours. Oh, right. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who was a captain of an, a, a different 80 something footer. And that was his hurricane plan was 24 hours. It's all he needed. Uh, it was 24 hours and he could be in a hole in, in Maine. Yeah. Hide. It was, we went to, we ended up in blue Hill and it ended up being like a storm that passed over by the time it got there. I mean, mm. you could see the front coming through, which was pretty cool. Um, And then, we found like, yeah, we went to a little hidey hole, but like the weird thing was it was pretty, it was pretty dead in Maine. And we were asking people like, so is this COVID or is this just Maine? And a lot of people were like, <laughs> depends on like, if you went into Southwest Harbor and that Marina's empty, like that's COVID, but you, the islands are still always empty. So right. um, the only thing that was weird is we kind of came around the corner and there was um, infinity, which was a uh, giant, like mm. <laughs> super yacht. You're like, Oh, this doesn't look is that place here? Um, missing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, who was also around the corner hanging out from this potential hurricane that ended up not. One of the things I saw your boat, I, I think it was on maybe your Instagram account or maybe off your website and you had sort of working from the, the office on board today. And I appreciate it. I thought, well, this is good. These are honest shots. These aren't the cliche photo of, you know, oh, look at me. I'm on a boat. I'm, I'm doing work. I have, you know, I've been working from home now since I got back from the America's Cup in 2013. So um, oh. it's nothing really new to me. Like everyone was like struggling with this work from home thing. And like, I was like, I actually really was into sourdough bread. And, um, <laughs> and, and I like have, but you really do have to trick yourself into working sometimes. And mm-hmm. um, 
because it's just, I'm so easy. I said, call it. It's so easy sometimes to find that path of least resistance. And one of the things I do is I keep Brandon's hours. So I go to work with him when he goes to work at 630 in the ah. morning and I'll like go for a dog walk and a run. And then I go out to the boat and it's pretty interesting. Like I have a hot spot that actually like with unlimited data. So I just like prop that down and you, you, there's less to distract you when you're on a 34 foot boat. I mean, you can still find ways to distract yourself, but right. it, it just became sort of, and then I keep, I know when he's getting off work. So it really does try to like really keep you on there. And I was, I was interested to see, I was like, I wonder if uh, I'll be able to do like zoom and stuff out. Yep. Everything worked on the hotspots. So I was like, Oh, this sure. is good. <laughs> so that, that was really, and just to mix it up, but um, no, I really do like sit, you know, and we last year finally got the, um, the, the bimney and then the attachment to the Dodger. So I can sure. fully be in the shade. And Brandon and I were big into wearing the buffs before all of this happened. So we're like, oh, when everyone had to start wearing face masks, we're like, oh, we already have a very uh, like extensive collection. collection. Now it's just gotten even wider right now because that's basically what we wear all the time. So I see. And I guess, was this related to because you formed that that great summer camp at the yacht club you're in 2017 you received the rhode island marine trades association uh boater of the year award i did i was boater of the year you, you were boater of the year I and, was yes. boater of the year it, the weirdest part about it is like when you get the award you get to keep it for a year it's a half hole sure. and it's like the names are like ted hood and like can you read, read and yeah. janet coit and like i'm like okay yeah so it was nice that to have a volunteer, I, I dedicated the award to all the volunteers who help get kids on the water. So there's a lot of parents and things who do stuff in a lot of like MBYA and people. So that was sort of nice to see a not just a professional, but like but a volunteer get recognized for for that. So and it was some committee at RIMTA, I, I, Rhode Island Marine Trades for my listeners. Yeah. It's RIMTA. They have a committee that comes up with that or they have a selection yeah, process. <clears throat> yeah, I guess there's the, the it's the board of at RIMTA that does it. And I know mm -hmm. it was Dick Cromwell, um, oh, yeah. who, Maritime yeah. Solutions, who mm -hmm. um, was on the board at Newport Yacht Club. And he was the one who nominated me. I was most nervous like about I had to give a speech at the the opening for the Providence um, yep. boat show. Governor Gina Raimondo was there and like, I will say that she was in the front row and I like, she was like cheering me on. She was just like, it was pretty cool to see your governor, like being like, yeah, yeah. And so, cause I dedicated it and I sort of said, you know, said this is for the volunteers and it was a happy moment. And I will say that professionally, I got some business out of it. I had people walk up to me right after and was like, I would like you to come work with us. And so, that oh, great. yeah, I, I ended up after I came back from the America's cup, starting a business called rising tea, which, mm stands for a rising tide lifts all boats. And I kind of take all those like small skill sets that I have um, and try and help Marine businesses with all mm -hmm. those little things. So um, I'm also a web designer by trade. I studied architecture and math in uh, college, but that I had to take computer science classes as part of that. And really I mm -hmm. just learned how to be a designer and I help a lot of small businesses. So, um, and I like education and technology and how those all come together. So one of my clients is Confident Captain. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, we put the same day that I got that award, we also launched the online captain's class mm -hmm. um, to give people an option for getting their captain's license on a more flexible schedule, which is interesting because now we've actually switched completely to the online model. There is no in-person classes right now. So right. 
we were ahead of the curve on that. After, you know, we get off this call, I'm going to be helping set up. I work with the Harrisoff Marine Museum and they're having to adapt. They've had to cancel their virtual gala. So we're doing it completely online and getting the auction online. And it's been really interesting when the pandemic first hit. A lot of people were like, ah, pause. Uh, I don't know where budgets or what's happening right now. And then all of a sudden it was like this because everybody needs more of a digital presence. So it's been right. an interesting year. I've figured out how to do an entire conference on Zoom and be the yeah. technical moderator for that. And like, again, you just come back to, yeah, we can do that. Yes, I can do that. And figuring it out and helping people sort of reach their goals. So, yeah, that's a good attitude. Yeah. Took some notes. It, it looked like among your clients, you mentioned the Harrishoff Marine Museum, but also Storm Tricycle Club, uh, the National Sailing Hall of Fame, which is going to open, I guess, next year. Mm-hmm. I just did their website. The coolest thing about the Sailing Hall of Fame is that anybody can nominate anybody. I can nominate you. You can nominate me. That's yeah. how it works. It's not. I wouldn't recommend like, nominating me. <laughs> well, there's a selection committee after that, but it's it's interesting because it's a anybody it's can open. nominate anybody. It's not a behind smoke in a smoking room. They try to be very transparent about the the selection process and everything. So helping design that in a website was pretty fun, and then to also add everybody who um, who had already been inducted. So there was that part of it because that's always existed. And now they're building an actual physical building. Right now, the website is just sort of like a living of what was. And then we launched also, there's the National Sailing Hall of Fame. And then there's also the Sailing Museum. So it's sort of like Sailing Museum is going to be inside that structure. And then inside there is going to be the Sailing Hall of Fame. And then the America's Cup Hall of Fame, they're going to have a satellite there. They are part of the Harrishoff Marine Museum. But I did all of their websites, so it makes it very easy to help all these different components. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You can bring it all together. You can bring it all together. Yeah. So, and then I, and it's interesting how everybody can kind of help from each other. So I read in, I work with Storm Tricell pretty extensively as well. That was the, um, conference we just did uh we just did a conference last weekend that was supposed to be in person and then it was online it was all about how to bring leadership into safety at sea there's gonna mm. be some cool stuff coming out about that but it, no one's ever really examined how leadership is a factor of safety when in reality that's huge you know it's not just about life rafts and things so it was really interesting to bring that all together uh the keynote speaker was sir robin knox johnson and he oh wow oh my god it was amazing like first of all i was so nervous because i was like okay I don't want to screw this up or make him look bad or like anything. And he was a riot an amazing mm. storyteller. And then also had like a cigarette and a glass of wine in his hand, the entire Zoom call. And I was like, <laughs> you are awesome. <laughs> um, and he stayed like, I think they were like thinking that he'd give this keynote and like just leave, but he stayed mm. the whole conference, which was an eight hour day and wow. six hours ahead or five hours ahead in UK. And it's just, yeah. There was a film, was it Sail Newport or somebody sponsored a film a year or two, a couple of years ago at the Jane Pickens Theater. And it was uh, it was about that first race and him. Yeah. And he featured prominently. And I think there might have been a Q. It might have been a Q&A afterward, uh, but he wasn't there. It was it was all remote. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty fun. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really fun working with these. So learning something from one and moving it hmm. to another I'm still trying to, the next step is how to clone myself. Um, really, that's <laughs> the next step because a lot of people, once you kind of get a client, sometimes you work with them and then they're here. So 
Um, yeah. I've got a girl working with me now to kind of help with some of the writing stuff I do, but um, mm-hmm. which is still when you go, sc- that's scary to go from like one employee to two employees. That's doubling your business. Right. <laughs> so, so you've got, yeah. there's plenty of work for you then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's been especially recently, like mm. amid what's been going on. I think I've, since I started this, I keep waiting for like, okay, this isn't going to work out. I'm going to have to like go get a full time job somewhere. But now I'm like just super busy and I get to, but I still have the benefit of like making my own hours and right. you know, things like that. But there's also the added stress of like, it's really hard to take a vacation or anything like that when you're kind mm-hmm. of in charge of websites and technology and things. Cause if something goes down, people in our society want an answer right away. So it's very hard right. to sometimes like, you know, that's why you're seeing me right now in my office upstairs. I treat that door pretty, try to treat that door pretty well. If like when I leave tonight, that door closes. And sure. I try to like not, you know, answer emails on my phone and stuff like that. Cause sometimes I'm just like, it's, it's mentally, you have to do it. I'm really into running. That helps. <laughs> like you just like go away. <laughs> I see you've got, is that your dog there? That is Scruffy. Yeah. My, it's gotten very dark in my office. Well, he, but, he oh, there, moved, yeah. moved earlier. Yeah. He moved. It's funny. Normally, um, this view is pretty like mm. straight up and down, but that couch over there is normally his spot. That's oh. actually his like boat bed that just like came off the boat because we finally pulled it out of the water. We only pulled our boat out of the water last week. I got my first quarantine project when I thought this was going to be like short lived was I got some butcher block and I varnished it a lot. I mounted it to a desk. So I had this nice big butcher black like desk. When you have a husband who's spent his entire childhood learning how to varnish. (laughs) Do you also do race coverage and commentary? Did I see, I saw an image which looked like you were geared up for. Um, So that was actually, so I do like production. And so I'll take like, again, like I try to wear many hats. So for like a race coverage, I can, you know, do both your writing and your social media and everything, but I can also help do any live production. Um, but that really came out of working closely with Chris Love and Chris Love Productions. And we've mm-hmm. come and teamed up and done a couple of things. So I think the picture you're referring to was the Rolex Big Boat series out in San Francisco. We've okay. done that the last couple iterations. And the cool thing about the Rolex Big Boat series is that every day you go out and race and then their last race of the day. So everybody's racing all over the bay, but your finish is always off of the Golden Gate Yacht Club, which is super deep. Mm-hmm. And the Golden Gate Bridge is behind it. So everybody just like all 80 boats always have to finish between the Yacht Club and this buoy. And you finish downwind with like, because the wind is always in the same direction in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, with the Golden Gate behind it and normally like setting suns. So we did a wow. live production where we would go live on Facebook and like have a drone picking up these and like have people talk about the boats and do it live. So it was both for like yacht club members and externally, obviously. And you can do that all the, like the technology is between like an iPad and some, a device that connects them all and everything. So um talking about adapting, like the yacht club's like, we'd like to do something like this. How can you make it happen on a more affordable, non TV broadcast kind of budget? So right. we've done that. So I've done that for a few times now. And um, we were going to do that this year. We are planning on taking it to the next level um, and doing it for the Bermuda race this year. But unfortunately, that got canceled. Mm. I wrote a lot of press releases in March for all these regattas I work for. And then I, I stumbled like, across a few. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I was like, I it felt like it was like writing my own obituary there for a while. Like I was writing all these cancellation press releases. They're like, uh-huh. Kate, can you write the press release? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. 
wah, wah. Like, <laughs> I will say I was proud to be part of the Bermuda race who canceled early and got a lot right. of flack for it. But I think they saw the writing on the wall. They wanted to be leaders and to be part of that decision-making process was pretty cool. Um, mm. Or just a fly on the wall for that decision-making process was pretty interesting to be a part of. Cause I think a lot of people, I think we all want to hold on to hope that it's like around the right. corner, but there were people who were like, guys, let's be. Well, I imagine <laughs> a lot of the guidance came from the governor on the that, gatherings guys. That was actually, I mean, we canceled in March for oh. the regatta in June. And a, and a big part of that was we had one guy who was in the UK, who's now the race director. He was, I think he was like, guys, you guys are like two weeks behind us. Um, Things are locking down here. People need to stop moving. And it takes so much to prepare your boat for the Bermuda race that, and it's also putting boatyards at risk and it puts the supply chain at risk. And if people are trying to all of a sudden, you know, while everybody's supposed to be trying to stay still, try to get their boats ready, that's, and we're sort of pushing that, like, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part no. of the solution. And no. by being part of the solution, it's not an easy decision to make, but. I mean, even Bermuda at that point was like, no, no, it's fine. It'll be fine. Two weeks later, Bermuda was like, nobody can come in. But right. we decided to cancel a little bit earlier than everybody else. Yeah. Well, obviously, it proved to be the right move. Hey, Kate, really, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this with me. I've learned a lot and I've enjoyed our talk. Well, this has actually been fascinating. It's always nice to also meet someone on the media sailing, sort of dipping their toe or yeah. throwing themselves into that. So, All right. Cheers. All right. Bye. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton. Sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.